Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. When you start stacking up the numbers for Devante, it's mind-blowing. You know, I... I, I really feel like he's the best player that I've played with. And I, I said that to him the other night, actually. Um, I was just thinking about him and having a lot of gratitude for our friendship and the fact that I get to play with him for so many years now. And I just felt like I wanted to tell him that because it, it's true. That was Christmas Day from Aaron Rodgers regarding Devontae Adams yesterday. Not Yeah, ho, ho, freaking ho. My goodness, Aaron Rodgers and the rest of the Packers fans out there have to be feeling like yesterday was anything but Christmas. In Las Vegas, they're feeling slightly differently than that. Christmas in March, Peter, but what a shocker. I mean, we have seen some weird, kooky, nutty stuff over the past two weeks. I think that one, that one was the one that came the most out of left field, unexpected, and the aftermath, I think, remains to be unreported and unexplored as to what Aaron Rodgers thinks about all this and what role, if any, he had in trying to keep it from happening. So it's clear now, Mike, through the reporting of Rob Domovsky and and others, that Rodgers did know about this before it was announced. The question is, how many days before it was announced? Did he know this before he was going to sign with the Packers on Monday, and that's the biggest question. My feeling is, with the closeness of these two guys, my gut feeling is he probably did know. But that's just a gut feeling and a gut feeling only. Because you're not this close to somebody, and then he hits you with a two-by-four after you sign your, you know, your contract to stay in Green Bay until you retire. That's the way I, I look at this. But the larger question or the larger issue, I think, is that when, when you get over the shock of this, is not that Aaron Rodgers will be without Devontae Adams. It's that the Las Vegas Raiders will be with him. And now, to me, 
this is going to be the weaponry that Josh McDaniels had when he was in New England just 15 years ago. <laughs> you know, remember when when Randy Moss came in and it's Brady to Moss. And to me, you know, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, and, and they've lost Zay Jones, but those... That three thing along, uh, that, that, that trio, along with a superb tight end group, okay, that is going to be a formidable offense to stop. And to me, I've said this for the last week, even before this happened, the AFC West is the best division, in my opinion, since the NFL split into uh, eight four-team divisions. Well, and that side of it is indeed fascinating. We joked in the past when the NFL expanded to 14 playoff teams, seven per conference, three wild cards per conference, that the NFC West potentially could send all four teams to the postseason. The AFC West potentially could, depending upon the quality of the second-place teams in the other three divisions. The AFC West could, in theory, send all four teams. The problem is they play each other twice. So those round-robin home-and-home games in the AFC West are going to be must-see TV this year. Each team keeps making a move to try to get better and better, except for the Chiefs, who really haven't done anything, but they have Patrick Mahomes. They've lost some guys. They kept Frank Clark. They added Justin Reed, but he replaces Tyron Matthew. But for the most part, the Chiefs are still the Chiefs. These other teams are striving to get better. And the Raiders, who were in danger of being left in the dust in the past two days, they had Chandler Jones, free agent from Arizona reunited with Josh McDaniels and Patrick Graham in Las Vegas because Chandler Jones goes all the way back to New England before he became a Cardinal. And now this Devontae Adams thing. Let's stay on the Raiders before we pick up the pieces from the Packers' side and figure out where they go from here. This is a move that is very unpatriot way. This isn't the kind of thing Bill Belichick would do. Give up a first and a second round pick and pay this kind of money. $141.25 $141.25 million on a five-year deal. Still haven't seen the full breakdown. And we have more to say about how the nuances of the contract in Vegas and Green Bay may have been fundamentally different, even if the Packers were technically willing to put more money on a five-year deal. But this is a major financial commitment. They gave up their, their draft picks in rounds one and two. It's going to be a long wait for Raiders fans in Las Vegas during the draft. Forget about the first night. They don't have a pick the first night, unless they make some other move and add a first-round pick as a courtesy to their fans who are going to be just kind of hanging around watching everybody else make their selections. But this is a bold move by the Raiders. It is the kind of move that Bill Belichick wouldn't have made, but it's the kind of move that Josh McDaniels is making, and in a symbolic way, it tells the world, I'm not going to be Bill Belichick. I'm going to be my own guy. I think the other thing to realize, Mike, is that Dave Ziegler, who technically, after the hirings of Dave Ziegler as general manager and Josh McDaniels as head coach were made, uh, you know, the Raiders made it clear that Ziegler was going to be the personnel guy. And Josh McDaniels is happy with that. He gets along swimmingly with uh, Ziegler. They've been good friends since college back in Ohio. So it's clearly a symphonic relationship, and they both are going to be fine with this signing. But the key is that Dave Ziegler has emerged this postseason 
as a new power general manager in the NFL. Nobody knows much of anything about him because when you work in personnel in New England, you work under a rock. I'll never forget the time a long time ago when this was maybe 2006 or seven. the Patriots were really good. And Scott Pioli went to work one day in Foxborough and he was at the, the guard shack. It was quarter of six in the morning. And he just waved to the guy and the guy basically said, can I see your ID, please? And I mean, you know, because... The GMs, the personnel guys in New England are just not going to ever be able to get fame and be able to be known as really good while they're there. So I think the way I look at this, Mike, is that it's not only a Josh McDaniels deal, it's it's Dave Ziegler emerging and saying, look, I'm going to look at the landscape, and if I can give my quarterback the receiver he has wanted to play with since the day they both stepped off that campus at Fresno State. If I can give him that receiver, I'm going to do everything in my power to try to do so, even though it denudes this year's draft and it basically really hamstrings them on the salary cap. That's the other side of this, too. There had been some uncertainty about Derek Carr, do the Raiders want to pay him forty million a year? Do the Raiders want to perhaps move well, on will in recent now. days? That well, they they will exactly. That's my point. Bringing in Devontae Adams, giving up that much to get Devontae Adams, and reuniting him with Derek Carr, two Fresno State teammates. That means that Derek Carr is the guy. That means Derek Carr is going to be getting a new contract, and they must be pretty confident they can work this out with him because there is a huge range now. Among the top 10 quarterbacks, it is a $31.9 million difference from the top of the market, Aaron Rodgers, down to Matt Ryan at number 10. Where does Derek Carr land? He is languishing at $25 million per year. He was not that long ago in the grand scheme of things, the highest paid player in NFL history. He got his contract at a time when every quarterback who was coming up for a new deal became the highest paid player in NFL history by a half million or so per year. Since then, we've we've entered into this era where you don't really know where guys fall until they do their deals. And, and there is a big spread. So how much are the Raiders going to invest in Derek Carr? I have a feeling that they have an idea of where this is going to land or they wouldn't have gotten Devontae Adams, unless it's some sort of a sweetener aimed at getting Derek Carr to take less. But I assume they don't recklessly make this move. I assume they want Derek Carr and they know They're going to keep Derek Carr. And that's important at a time, Peter, when there's been just kind of a curiosity about Baker Mayfield. We're going to talk about him coming up. We've got plenty to say about Baker Mayfield. But Josh McDaniels was the guy who secretly worked him out four years ago. And there was a sense that maybe McDaniels really liked this kid. And, you know, with uh, with Mayfield now trying to get out of Cleveland, hey, maybe the Raiders. No, not the Raiders. Forget the Raiders. Scratch the Raiders off the list. Baker Mayfield's not going to the Raiders. Derek Carr is going to be the Raiders quarterback. And he's going to be reunited with Devontae Adams. And the Raiders could still finish in fourth place in the division, but they're not going to just throw in the towel. They're going to fight, and they're going to scratch, and they're going to claw, and they're going to do their best to keep up with the Broncos and Russell Wilson, the Chargers and everything that they've done, and the team that continues to be the kings of that division, although who knows for how much longer the Kansas City Chiefs. Look, you know, it's one of the funniest things that you've said in recent hours, days, weeks. The Derek Carr is languishing at $25 million a year. Hey, Derek, 
You're going to make every Sunday you play football, you're making $1.5 million. And you're down in sort of the lower middle class of quarterbacks. And that's what's happened in this crazy NFL uh, of the last two or three years. I guess there would be two things I would say about Carr. In my opinion, there's no doubt in my mind that the Raiders feel like they have an angle and a uh, a lead on paying Derek Carr uh, for the long term. And, you know, for everybody who said, ah, you know, Derek Carr, he's just okay. You know, he's the 12th or 14th best quarterback. This signing and this trade for Devontae Adams, whatever, whatever wording you want to put on that, of how much money he's worth or where he ranks, you know, in the in the you know in the top X number of quarterbacks doesn't matter. He's the Raiders guy. Okay? And then I think the one other thing to think about, Mike, is that when you look at the AFC West, and again, I don't want to keep harping on this, but assuming that Carr gets signed, just think about the AFC West for the next, oh, I don't know, pick a number, six or eight years, I would say at the very least, they are going to be every single AFC West game potentially is a primetime game, every one. So remember a few days ago or, or, or maybe a week or so ago, what, you know, before Tom Brady comes back, when everybody is just looking and saying, oh my God, the Bucks have got to play in Germany. They could be three and six by the time their game in Germany happens. And man, that's not going to be the marquee game everybody thought. Well, now you got Brady with a fantastic Bucks schedule. You've got Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, Khalil Mack, everybody just going into the AFC West and making it a power division. And look, I was talking to somebody in the league yesterday about this and and they said, hey, I mean, not that Denver is going to max out its primetime appearances, but all of a sudden now Denver, especially Denver home games, you know, are going to be huge attractions for TV because it'll be mania there. You know, the, it's going to have the, a, a crazy studio audience again after averaging 8,000 8, no-shows a game this year. So everything that's happened to me, everything that's happened, the NFL just keeps checking boxes to say, we are the power sport in America. Nothing is going to come close to us. And I'll add just a a tiny little asterisk to the notion that all these games will be in primetime. I'll say they'll all be in primetime or in the 425 p.m., nationally televised doubleheader. Right. They're not spot. all going to be in prime away. time. You no, can't right. do that. But, no, but, but, yeah. but if you've seen the numbers that are generated by Fox and CBS in the 425 p.m. Eastern game of the game that's televised to the vast majority of the country, those audiences are ridiculous. Sometimes they're the biggest audiences of the week. Yeah. So I think all these games, right. and it fits perfectly because you've got Denver, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles hosting, so it, it works well for late afternoon for their home games, but it's not going to be tucked into 405 
and broadcast to 10% of the country. It's going to be 425, and it's going to be a big deal every time these teams play. And I like it because it takes me back to the 70s, back when it was the Raiders and the Chiefs, back when the Broncos had the Orange Crush defense, back when, well, the Chargers didn't get good until the end of the decade. But they're all good at the same time. They're all great at the same time, and they're all stuck in the same division. And uh, look, it it is not impossible for all four teams to make it to the playoffs. And wouldn't that be something if that's ultimately what happened for the AFC West in one of these upcoming years? Okay, now let's let's flip it over to the Green Bay Packers. Because this was a stunner. And I guess in hindsight, we could have seen what was coming potentially when it was reported that Devontae Adams informed the Packers he's not playing under the franchise tag and he wants a long-term deal. And they're too far apart. Right Now, I didn't think it would materialize this quickly, that there would be another team that comes in and blows the doors off of the situation. And I know that, number one, the Packers worked very hard to put out the word to willing beat writers last night that the Packers were ready to offer more or did offer more, at least as much, if not more, than what the Raiders offered in terms of dollars. Here's the important point there. The Packers notoriously refuse to guarantee money beyond the first year of non-quarterback contracts. They will only fully guarantee the first year. The Packers and the Bengals are the two that stick to that. The Steelers deviated last year for T.J. Watt. Remains to be seen whether they'll do it for other players. Packers and Bengals, non-quarterbacks, were only guaranteeing the first-year payout, not beyond that. It makes no sense for the Packers to do it. They're publicly owned. There's no owner that has a super yacht to try to maintain. The money can all get poured back into the team. I don't know why they refuse to put money in escrow to handle the guarantee for the second year and sometimes into the third year. We need to see the structure, but my guess is the Raiders fully guaranteed beyond the first year. And that's a huge difference. So before we get caught up in this, well, you know, the Packers offered as much or more. The, the structure is critical. We, we went through this earlier in the week with Randy Gregory and why he ultimately didn't sign with the Cowboys. They were going to jeopardize his guarantee beyond year one. The Broncos weren't going to jeopardize it to the same extent. It's important to have guaranteed money beyond year one. It secures your position. It secures you financially. That's a key part here. But, but if the Packers were willing to pay that much, Peter, why the hell didn't they do it sooner? There's something to be said about waiting too long to finally come to your senses. And I think for Devontae Adams, you know, there's got to be a factor here. Hey, why, why, did I, why did I have to push this to the limit? You had months to take care of my contract. You had years to take care of my contract as other guys were getting paid more and more and more. And you saw where the market was going. You wait until you have a gun to your head before you say, oh, OK, here, here, take it all. Uh, for some people, that, that's off-putting. I shouldn't have had to do this. I shouldn't have had to go out and find somebody else who was willing to pay me this much before you finally wake up. And I think that's a port, an important human factor that, that gets overlooked in a situa- situation like this. The Packers could have done this long ago and kept Devontae Adams forever. I think when this first happened last night, the first thought that went to my mind when I saw the money, and again, I don't know how the money would have been spread out. I don't know if there would have been phony years built in at the end in Green Bay. <clears throat> but I just started to think to myself, okay, this 
to me, is about the fact that Brian Gutekunst does not want to have two players make a combined $78 million on his cap in 2023 and, say, 2024 if Aaron Rodgers plays three more years. That's the first thing that went through my mind. And again, look, will the Aaron Rodgers contract, what will they make the cap numbers do? And they can redo it every year. I get that. But how far do you want to push this into the future? Or does Brian Gutekunst, deep down inside, does he say to himself, okay, look, I understand what everybody says when they look at this year's draft. When people look at this year's draft, you see, you know, when I wrote this, I don't know, a month ago, three weeks ago, before the combine, when Daniel Jeremiah told me, he said, hey, listen, you can tape record my remarks on wide receivers and you can just play them back every year for the next 10 years. This draft is loaded with wide receivers. And what if Brian Gutekunst says to himself, okay, we're going to make this trade with with the Raiders and we now are going to have four picks in the top 60. I will use two of those picks on, I think if I'm not mistaken, most people have about seven or eight receivers like in their top 50. And we are going to isolate on getting two receivers in the top 60 of in our top four picks. And we're going to hope that they can get up to speed this year with Aaron Rodgers. Those are the two things I thought of. Two manageable players hoping that one of them can be something like Justin Jefferson, so that the last two or three years of Aaron Rodgers can be relatively prolific. Um, I agree with all that in theory, but it's still a challenge to get Aaron Rodgers on board with it because even though there is a great group of receivers entering the NFL every year, and I think the reason for it is very simple. With all the seven-on-seven camps proliferating across the country, high school, college, all these quarterbacks developing, somebody is running the routes and catching the passes. So these guys are developing more quickly than ever. And the receiver position is going to become like the running back position. This was a theme that came up earlier in the week when the Cowboys hot potato Amari Cooper to Cleveland and unload his $20 million salary. You know, I did the math, $53.9 million given to Amari Cooper over three years by the Cowboys. They could have used the pick that they sent to the Raiders to get Cooper on A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, D.K. Metcalf, and had him for four years, $11.4 million. More than $40 million less for longer time and a fifth-year option on the back end of it. Now, they also could have taken Keel Harry. See, that's the problem. Peppered uh, among yeah, all yeah, these great can, receivers. Yeah. yeah, but that's my point, though. You can say, oh, okay, we got four picks in the top 60 now. We're just going to go get a couple of receivers. What if you get the two who suck? You don't find out until it's too You're late. Right. And that's, from Aaron Rodgers' perspective, But Devontae Adams a was a second-round pick. I know, I know. But now he's a fully formed all-pro receiver. And from Aaron Rodgers' perspective, he said it himself, Peter, after they lost to the 49ers in the divisional round. I don't want to be part of a rebuild. And even though the full team isn't rebuilding, the receiving core is in shambles right now. When Randall Cobb is the best guy you have under contract right now, Randall Cobb in 2022, not 2012, when that's your best option, you do not have a receiving core. 
And they have to build the thing from the ground up. Can they get Marquez Valdez-Scantling to come back? He's an unrestricted free agent. Alan Lazard is restricted with a second-round tender. Is somebody going to come try to poach him? I don't know. What are they going to do with these guys? What's Amari Rogers ever going to become? He was drafted last year by the Packers. I, there, there's a lot of work to be done, and this isn't what Rodgers wanted. And um, I, I, I want to know, and we're never going to know. We're never going to know the answer to the question because people don't tell the truth about these things. Did Rodgers have any inkling that Adams wasn't yeah. going to be there when Rodgers was deciding right. what he was going to do in 2022? This whole idea of he became aware in recent days, that is deliberately vague. It doesn't create the timeline. And I see there's a report that that maybe Rodgers did know before he put pen to paper. Well, putting pen to paper doesn't matter. He made the commitment publicly on his Twitter feed that he's coming back to the Packers because he had to quibble with the idea of whether or not he signed a contract. He wasn't going to change his mind at that point. Oh, Devontae Adams is leaving. Now I'm not staying. He's already said he's coming back. So, and, and, and the other thing I want to know, because the agents for Devontae Adams went on record and said it was his lifelong dream to play for the Raiders. I mean, basically, he's choosing Derek Carr over Aaron Rodgers. That's a hell of a slap in the face to Aaron Rodgers. He's choosing to reunite with a guy he hasn't played with in eight years to leave the guy that he's played with for the last eight years. And if the money really was better, and I still I still don't buy it, I think the structure's better in Las Vegas, but you, you look at Tom Brady putting the muscle on all these guys to stay in Tampa Bay, and they're like, yes, Tom, yes, Tom, whatever you want, Tom. And Rodgers can't persuade the best player on the team to stay, right? What a, what a contrast that is. Yeah. You know, Mike, the other thing that is that I really uh... – I'm really curious about right now is that, you know, it, it, because I didn't even know this until I read it last night, that Devontae Adams in the off season lives in Las Vegas or lives in Nevada somewhere. And I, I had never heard that before. I mean, I would have no idea where he'd live, but, but I, I, and I wonder about that. And I wonder about his closeness, you know, to Derek Carr over the years and whether indeed it was a lifelong dream for him you know, to play for the Raiders. Those things have to factor in. But I would agree with you. There's got to be something here that, and you said it five minutes ago, that if this thing had gotten, if the Packers had gotten sufficiently generous a year ago, there's a very good chance this thing would have been done by now. And so, you know, I kind of look at this as a lost opportunity for Green Bay that they are going to say to Brian Gutekunst, hey, listen, you know, you have to now be in the same tradition of Ron Wolf trading for Brett Favre when nobody wanted Brett Favre and trading a one for Brett Favre. You have to be in the same tradition of Ted Thompson drafting Aaron Rodgers when the Packers didn't need a quarterback you have to now be in that tradition because you have to draft minimum one and almost certainly two receivers who are going to be able to hit the ground running and are going to be able to catch 80 balls this year with Aaron Rodgers and get us back to home field in the NFC playoffs. This is, this is a tremendous amount of pressure, in my opinion, on Brian Gutekunst. 
Well, he's already in the latter tradition, drafting a quarterback when you don't need one. That's what caused all this mess two years ago when they traded up for Jordan Love. It reminds me, frankly, of the 1999 Packers draft after Randy Moss took the league by storm. I think they took a defensive back in every round that year to try to load up with enough talent to slow down Randy Moss. But this is the objective. And and the point about... If the Packers had just put this money on the table six months ago, they could have avoided this. That's not just us second-guessing the Packers. I guarantee you that thought is going through the brain of Aaron Rodgers. Hey, Goody screwed around. He, you know, he. they had to play this out. They had to do the franchise tag game. They pissed him off, and he had an opening, and he left. And, you know, Rodgers is never going to say, well, the reason this happened is Devontae Adams has had enough of me after eight years and he'd rather play with Derek Carr. He's never going to resolve it that way. He's going to resolve it by saying we could have kept Devontae Adams if we weren't stupid and cheap. But we were stupid and cheap. And now Devontae Adams is gone. And I'm stuck with whoever they happen to find in the draft, whoever they happen to bring in and say, here, Aaron, shape these lumps of clay into receivers who actually will be successful in the NFL. And I sure hope they involve him in the scouting. I sure hope they let him watch some of the film and give some input on which guys he like. And I I know in in Green Bay, it's, hey, you just just throw the football. We'll take care of everything else. But they're going to expect him to work with a cluster of rookies this year. They better be sensitive to which of these guys he likes or doesn't like based upon what he sees on film because he's going to be watching the film anyway. They may as well get his input because what if they draft a guy that he has seen on tape and he says, this really isn't my kind of guy. Can I give you one little X factor in this thing that is probably 180 degrees away from why Devontae Adams did this, but I always think about this? Okay, state tax in Wisconsin for high earners like a professional football player. 7.65%. State tax in the state of Nevada on any earners, 0%. So what does that mean? Maybe nothing, probably something. And to me, what it does, it just makes the Raiders buying power when they go out to look for a free agent or when they go out to look for a player in trade you know, the agents can say, okay, you know, you are, you are taxed on where you work. And so, you know, obviously if you, if you play in the state of Nevada, you are going to be taxed significantly less than if you, you know, play in, in another state. So to me, that most likely, I doubt it was the deciding factor, but that had to be a bit of a factor. Well, and and I agree with you, and that doesn't get discussed nearly enough when it comes to players making their decisions. And one of the reasons, I'm going to be cynical here, and I don't think this is a stretch, the agents get their fee based upon the total dollars, not based on the after-tax dollars. So in some cases, it's not in the best interest of the agent's earning potential to say, you know, the other team's offering you less, but you're not going to pay state income taxes, so you're really making more. But it's an important factor to remember as Green Bay tries very hard to get everyone to accept the idea that they offered Devontae Adams as much or more. They don't want to be blamed for this, and that's what is critical to this. There's always going to be blame. 
to be placed. And the easiest blame here is on the Packers because if you just do this sooner, you don't have this problem. I mean, this contract is a real $28.25 million per year. When DeAndre Hopkins did his deal with the Cardinals for $27 million per year, that's new money. That's money that's dumped into an existing deal. And when you subtract what he was due to make and you average it all out, hey, $27 million, even though the contract as written is not $27 million. It's complicated, and I'm trying to make it simple. Just trust me on that. The new money analysis that happens all the time for an existing contract makes the deal seem better than it is. When you're signing from scratch like Adams is, this is a five-year deal, period. There's no old contract that gets sucked into this. This is five years, 141.25, 28.25 million per year, period. That's real. Now, the structure is going to reveal a lot. How much is paid out the first two or three years? Because the back end usually gets ripped up if the guy's playing well or gets ripped up if he's not and he gets told quite politely to pack his things and leave. But this is a great contract. For Devontae Adams. And again, if the Packers were contemplating anything like this, they should have done it during the season, and Devontae Adams would still be with the Green Bay Packers. So uh, this is going to be a factor, and, and this takes a lot of the steam out of the optimism that Packers fans surely had after Aaron Rodgers stayed. Look around the NFC. It's the place to be now. It's been a bad week for the Packers, though. Tom Brady's back, and Devontae Adams is gone. You just... You know, you just referred to it. Just think about the the sort of brain drain and talent drain from the NFC to the AFC just in the past few days. Look at Khalil Mack. Look at Chandler Jones. Look at Russell Wilson. Look at Devontae Adams. It's It's amazing what has happened in just a week or so. You know, it's... It, 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 I, I, I'm... It's, it's almost, it's, it really is shocking, honestly. You know, when you think about what has happened, look, at, you know, after the next few days, everybody's going to have to see, okay, when the dust is settled, what are the stories? To me, the biggest story is the fact the AFC West is the greatest division of all time. Uh, but the second thing is the talent that has left the NFC for the AFC in this postseason is earth-shaking. It's, it's, I, I, I'm, I mean, just think about it. It is unbelievable. Look at Debo Samuel. He said <laughs> So, I, you know, wow. <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. It's, it's good news for the 49ers. It's good news for the Rams. It's good news for the Buccaneers. It's good news for the Cowboys, although they have their own problems. We'll probably talk about that at some point over the next hour and a half. They... They have more guys leaving than they have coming in right now. But but the NFC collectively is so much weaker right now than the AFC, even though the NFC representative has won the last two Super Bowls, Peter. When you look at the best teams, it's not even close. I can't remember a time when it was skewed this far between one conference. I remember back in the 70s, it was like the AFC won the Super Bowl every year, but there was never a sense that the best teams in the AFC were dramatically better than the best teams in the NFC. This is the first time that I can remember where you have all of that. You have powerhouse teams. You have great teams littered throughout the AFC. And in the NFC, you got the Rams, you got the Bucks. And you got the Packers, and now you feel different. How can you not feel differently about the Packers with Devontae Adams gone? How can you not? So, uh, you, and it, it actually makes it better for whoever wins the NFC 
because there's a chance the team that wins the AFC will be so beaten up and beaten down after running the gauntlet all year long and then navigating the playoff field makes the Super Bowl easier for whoever comes out of the NFC. I mean, when you look at it, I'm not positive now that because I had thought, you know, Green Bay has got to be a prohibitive favorite to win home field uh, in the in the NFC again. And I'd probably, you know, who knows? I, I, I mean, I'm glad that the season doesn't start today because there's a lot of changes that are still to be made. But I think the way I look at this now, Mike, is that this opens up the NFC and and particularly particularly assuming if Deshaun Watson at some point ends up somewhere uh you know in the in the in the NFC South if he ends up there how many games is he going to play and let's say for the sake of argument Mike if I'm an NFC South team and I see that Deshaun Watson is in suspended and let's pick a number for the first eight games of the season. Let's just say, and let's say he loses his appeal. I mean, you can imagine the pressure on Howard Katz on Mike North and that entire scheduling department to make absolutely sure that every NFC South opponent that or that no NFC South opponent gets to play whatever team Watson is on twice in the first eight weeks of the season. That's a weird thing to look at. It's a weird thing to say. And, you know, we don't know when the NFL is going to rule on this. But if I were the schedule makers, let's say he signs with the Saints, I would be sure that the Saints would have three division games like in the last six weeks. Because otherwise, you're going to get, somebody's going to scream at you for, you know, for disadvantageous scheduling in allowing Team X in the NFC South to be finished with whatever team signs Watson in the first six weeks, which sometimes happens in the NFL. Not often, but it sometimes does. So those are the little things that, uh, I mean, so many, there. I, I can't, I, usually... March 18th, which is what today is. We're heading into a little bit after the wave of free agency is over. We're heading into a little bit of the doldrums. You get the league meetings, and then it's just draft hype for three weeks. But now there are so many tributaries and so many stories still happening. I I mean, I just, there's not not been an offseason like it in the 38 years I've covered the NFL. Let me reel back a couple of minutes because you said something that caught my attention. Do you believe that the NFL will factor in a potential suspension of Deshaun Watson into the schedule-making process? And if you believe the NFL would do that, but but why why do you have to do it? Why do you have to do it? These teams that are pursuing Deshaun Watson. Hang on. Let me, 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 let me just say this. Sound like crazy. It's on those teams. If you're, if you're, I was trying to sound like Mad Dog. If, uh, if, uh, <laughs> I love that guy. Um, what was I saying? If you're a team that is trying to trade for Deshaun Watson and there's been this clamoring, the moment the grand jury returns nine 
Uh, no true bills. Uh, fancy lawyer talk that I still don't understand 30 years after graduating law school, but I digress. After the grand jury does that, there's the, oh, let's go get to Sean Watson. Everything's fine. He's free and clear. He's free and clear. The truth came out. No. He's got 22 civil lawsuits hanging over him. There's a chance he's going to be suspended. We don't know what the NFL is going to do. Well, we're going to go get him anyway. Well, fine. Hey, you know what? Sucks for you if you don't have him the first eight weeks of the season. And if you're the Saints, you got to play the Buccaneers twice in the first eight weeks. Too bad. You shouldn't have gone after him. Now, I just I see it as two different silos in the league office, or at least it should be. They should not, in my opinion, structure the schedule to do favors to anyone. You went and traded for this guy. You made a 10-year trade. It's going to be a little bumpy this year because you're going to have to get by without him, and you're going to have to play the Bucks twice in the first eight weeks because that's the way the computer generated the best possible schedule that we decided to use for the benefit of the entire league. The computer has the ability to take factors a jillion of them into account. And it'll be very easy because I've seen this, Mike. I've been in the room. I've watched. I haven't watched the process, but when it's over, I've had it explained in triplicate to me. Um, And the NFL can easily say, let's say he signs with the Saints, that we want one game after November 15th against, first of all, there has to be one in the last week of the season, okay? And it won't be all that unusual to play each division opponent once in the last eight weeks of the season. It's it's not going to be that unusual. And to me, yeah, you can say what you want about, hey, you know, that, that isn't fair and, and all that stuff. And of course, you know, if the Bucks, I'm sure the Bucks would want to get the Saints. If, it, if he does sign with the Saints and Watson suspended eight weeks. They'd love to get uh, Watson, or they'd love to get the Saints twice by November 1st. Of course they would, and they might. But the NFL has it within their power, and just my guess is that they will insert that as a factor so as not to make it disadvantageous for one team uh, you know, who's got to play Deshaun Watson twice in the last eight weeks of the season. I mentioned this for one very important reason. We're going to take a break in a couple of minutes, and we're going to talk more about the status of the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. However, I think this is important, and it came up organically. Dateline April 21, 2010. To bring together a couple of names we've mentioned in the past five minutes, Howard Katz and Chris Mad Dog Russo. Katz was on with Russo that day talking about the then newly released 2010 schedule. At the time, Ben Roethlisberger was due to be suspended the first six games of the season. The Steelers' first primetime game on the 2010 schedule, coincidentally, was Roethlisberger's first game back. And our good friend Chris Russo was justifiably skeptical about the schedule-making process to engineer it that way. Kat said, I didn't have the slightest idea what kind of suspension the commissioner was going to hand down when I did this. I make the schedule. I have no put into the suspensions, nor did I have any insight into the suspension. It was pretty clear to me he was going to wind up getting some kind of suspension. I really didn't anticipate that it would be that lengthy, yada, yada. 
Purely coincidental is what he said. Now, I made the mistake of just questioning whether it was coincidental and Katz was not happy with me. That was 12 years ago. I think the statute of limitations is run on me saying publicly he was not happy with me. But that's why I'm thinking of this. That's why the synapses in my brain connected, because they have created the impression in the past that they don't care, that they make the schedule without regard to how long a guy's going to be suspended, when he's going to be back. And frankly, Peter, by the time they crunch the final schedule, I don't know. Will we know? You know, I, we, we, we need to take I a break and talk so. more about Watson. But let me just say this. Let me just say this. Yeah. If Deshaun Watson decides he is going to fight these 22 civil cases through to a verdict and he somehow wins every single one of these cases, not criminally charged, and ultimately a verdict in his favor, 22 out of 22 times that he did not violate the rights of anyone, what do you do to him? What do you do to him at that point? What do you suspend him for at that point? What can you justifiably suspend him for if he fights this to the end and wins 22 out of 22 civil cases? I'm not saying he's going to. I'm not saying he's going to. I'm passing no judgment on the merits of the cases. I'm just recognizing the possibility that he could lose all 22. He could win all 22. Because the NFL in recent years has been more inclined to wait until they absolutely positively have no choice but to act. Because they've learned in the past when they act too soon, they step on a rake. So I, I just I, I doubt that by the time they generate that final schedule, we're going to know how many games Deshaun Watson will miss, if any, in 2022. I agree with you. I don't I don't think on you know the schedule is going to be released, whatever, May 5th, 8th, 10th, something like that. First 10 days of May. And I think there's a very good chance we're not going to know at that point uh, how long he's going to be suspended for. But you can clearly make a, an educated guess. And that educated guess, to me, would be half the season. Now, Mike, you're right about what you said. And that in that there's a chance, obviously, that in 22 cases, Deshaun Watson can fight all those and win. Well, first of all, we're not going to know that by the time the NFL has to make this decision. This is, this is going to take a while, unless, unless, as you know, I mean, you were in this business, unless there is some sort of global settlement with the 22 people who have filed these complaints. So, you know, I, I guess theoretically it is possible, but I don't think that's going to happen. And I do think the NFL is going to have to make a decision based on the mud that it has been drawn through or it has been dragged through um, with all of these Deshaun Watson stories. Here he is, a top five quarterback in the NFL, missed all of last season because of this case. And now just because they don't have a final determination, the NFL is just going to say, never mind and let him play. Well, I, I don't think that's going to happen, but when it will happen, I have no idea. There was a thought last year, specifically within the Dolphins organization, I'm told, that if they had acquired Deshaun Watson and Stephen Ross insisted on all 22 cases being settled, 18 of the plaintiffs were ready to go. There were four holdouts, so it didn't happen. But if it had happened, a global settlement last October, early November, the Dolphins believed he was going to be suspended six games. So, again, the NFL keeps its card close to the vest on this they've learned to delay action as long as they can this is a complicated nuanced situation and 
it's not going away anytime soon unless there is a global settlement that Deshaun Watson reaches. The problem is if Tony Busby, who represents the 22 individuals, knows that there's an urgency to settle the case for football reasons, the price goes up. That's just the They'll way it works. A harder passing judgment. But that's, 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 you know, it doesn't matter. Well, I thought you're in this to get justice for your clients. Well, justice comes in a lot of shapes and sizes, and leverage is very important. And if we sense that you want out, we want more money to make it go away. We need to go away for just a couple of minutes. When we return, we focus on the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. He has narrowed the field from four to two. When will he drill down to one? We'll discuss all the factors regarding Deshaun Watson's next destination when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there they are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. On Friday, a grand jury found that Deshaun Watson will face no criminal charges. Nine complaints were considered. There were no indictments on any of them. 22 civil cases remained, but... Four teams in hot pursuit of Deshaun Watson. The field is now down to two after meeting with the Saints, the Panthers, the Falcons, and the Browns. The Browns are out. The Panthers are out. It's down to a pair of NFC South rivals. A bitter, nasty, throw eggs at the team bus rivalry. And that did happen at one point to the Saints when they arrived at the airport in Atlanta. These two teams hate each other. And now... They are in a tug of war for a franchise quarterback, one of the best five in the NFL, hasn't played in a year, but Deshaun Watson, unless somebody else swoops in. And Peter, if the Rams didn't have Matthew Stafford, I'd say wait for the Rams to swoop in. But it's going to be the Falcons or it's going to be the Saints. And and Watson, I was told Wednesday night he was torn between the four. And I think he did what you do when you have four that you can't choose from. Instead of picking one, you pick one to drop. So he picked the Browns first. Then he picked the Panthers second. Now it's down to the Panthers or not the Panthers second. Now it's down to the Saints or the Falcons. And who knows when he's going to make a decision. I would assume by the end of the weekend, though, we're going to know what Deshaun Watson's going to do. You know, Mike, I think that it's. It's interesting, the two teams that are involved, uh, you know, obviously do have this rivalry, but they also, both teams, have to have judged that they can withstand whatever public criticism, whatever fan-related criticism is going to come to them. And... You know, they know their fan bases better than anybody else. But I think if he does sign with the Saints, let's say, let's say, and even if he doesn't sign with the Saints, it's clear that the Saints are all in on this. So I'll be very interested to hear what Gail Benson says because there's going to be a lot of women, rightfully so, who are going to say to Gail Benson, what about the 22 aggrieved women who have complained 
of sexual assault or sexual, serious sexual harassment by Deshaun Watson. And then in Atlanta, you know, Arthur Blank, who has been a champion of all uh, and, and who has been very, very clear, uh, you know, who started, you know, flag, a huge flag football organization for women in the state of Georgia. Uh, you know, Arthur Blank did. And, and so both teams are going to have very serious questions to answer. And that is, how much is too much? Or how much will you overlook if the talent is there in a player? And in my opinion, I just think, you know, Mike, we've totally glossed over the football media. Not totally. 90% glossed over this story, the part of this story that has nothing to do with, oh my God, can you imagine how great Deshaun Watson is going to be after this speed bump of a half season suspension is going to be? I mean, I just, the whole thing is hugely distasteful to me, hugely. And it bothers me a lot. And in my opinion, I think that if I owned a team, I'd tell my general manager, we are only getting involved in this. And if it means we don't get them, we don't get them. We're only getting involved in this after this entire thing has been adjudicated and it's over. And if that means we don't get them, fine. I'll play with Teddy Bridgewater. And if we're going to lose games, we're going to lose games. I just find this whole thing massively distasteful. And I understand exactly what you're saying. I think these teams are doing a more long-term calculation here, and no they're looking at how they're looking at how things have happened in the past. I think back to 2010, and when Ben Roethlisberger was dealing with the aftermath of the allegation that was made against him in Millersville, Georgia, this same month, and the people in Pittsburgh, the fans, they wanted him gone. I would tune into talk radio in Pittsburgh and it would be one petty grievance after another. Any interaction anyone's ever had with Ben Roethlisberger anywhere, he was rude to me, he cut in line in front of me at the Subway restaurant. I mean, seriously, that was a style. They, they hated the guy in the aftermath of these allegations. They wanted him out. The Steelers considered trading him. At the end of the day, they didn't. He served his suspension. He came back. They went to the Super Bowl that year, lost to the Packers. And by 2011, I don't want to say it was forgotten, By 2012, 2013, 2014, it sure was. By the time he retired, it never happened. It was never even mentioned. I felt like when I dared to mention it in the aftermath of that Monday night, let's just go ahead and send Ben Roethlisberger straight up to the heavens from this football field as this game ends. That's how perfect of a a wrap to his career that it was. I felt like I was going to get dragged for pointing out, you know, this guy had a pretty rough time in 2010. It was pretty bad in 2010. It was as bad as it could get. And he only had two people who ever accused him of anything, not 22. Two. And it was as bad as it. So, and, and I think that these teams, and I hate to be cynical, but we know how this works. This is a billion-dollar business. And it's getting bigger all the time. And you have no chance to contend on a regular basis if you don't have a franchise quarterback. This is a franchise quarterback. And it's true in every sport. The better you are, the easier it is to get people to overlook the warts. So here you have a guy who's capable of being a top five talent in the NFL, and there are a lot of warts there. And right now, we had four teams. One out of eight 
falling all over themselves to try to get Deshaun Watson. And there may have been more that contacted the Texans that either didn't put enough on the table to get admission because that's what the Texans did. They wanted your trade offer before they were going to let you meet with Deshaun Watson. That was brilliant because if you don't do that and Deshaun Watson decides, hey, this is the team that I will play for. This is the only team I'm waving my no trade clause for. Then you're screwed. So they were smart to say before we even let you talk to him, we have to be happy with your trade. So there were four that they said you can talk to him. We're happy with your proposal. It's up to him. And, you know, hey, Peter, there is going to be a reaction. But I think whether it's Gail Benson, Arthur Blank, David Tepper, or Jimmy Haslam, all things will pass. And once the dust settles on this, once it's all over, once he serves his suspension, once we process whatever criticism there's going to be, we're going to have a franchise quarterback. And, you know, there may have been plenty of other teams that refused to go down that path, and maybe that's why they're not at the table right now. But out of 32... 31, there were four that were willing to do it. And now Watson is willing to play for one of two, and we'll find out which one is going to have the benefit and the short-term burden. We'll know by Monday, I think. I look at two teams that I think a lot of people thought would be involved, uh, who certainly had the ammunition to be involved, who didn't get involved. Now, maybe we'll find out why they didn't get involved. Maybe the distastefulness of chasing a guy who's got 22 civil suits pending uh, was just too much. But didn't, you know, after the Russell Wilson affair, didn't we all think that the Seahawks were probably going to get involved? Didn't we think that the Philadelphia Eagles, with three picks in the top 20 of this draft, probably were going to get involved? Now, it could be that Watson signaled right away, look, I don't want to go to Philadelphia. Or, look, I don't want to go to Seattle. We don't know that right now. But I do think that there are some teams that made the conscious choice. We are not going to get involved with Deshaun Watson with this gigantic sexual sort of Damocles hanging over his head. And to them, I say, congratulations, good job. The Eagles are confusing to me because it was in 2009 that they threw the doors open for Mike Vick. Now, Andy Reid was there, and I think Andy Reid is a guy who is very big on giving people second chances and opportunities for redemption. He's long gone, and obviously he's got got Patrick Mahomes, so this isn't an analysis for him. But, you know, the Vick thing was pretty serious, and I know there are a lot of people saying it's just dogs, it's just dogs. The, the things he admitted to doing to dogs, the oh, killing of dogs gigantic. deemed unfit. Dogs deemed unfit to die while fighting other dogs were deliberately killed at the involvement of Mike Vick, drowned, electrocuted, strangled. It's horrific. When you look at the document where he, he made his various admissions to the government as to what he did and why he did it, and... You know, he of course, he, he wasn't available to make a quick return because he was in prison. But as soon as he was eligible, he was back. And the Eagles didn't nearly take as much flack for it as I thought they would. So, you know, Jeffrey Lurie already oh, has no. gone down I this path before. I think they took a massive amount, Mike. I, not as I much as I thought they should. I think they took a massive amount. Well, yeah, it was all know. forgotten. I mean, when it was, all, I think, it was all forgotten by you know 2010 when Mike Vick is? was the starter again. You know what I think the difference is? Mike Vick had done his 17 months in Leavenworth. 
Mike Vick was a free man. He had paid his debt to society. And I realize what that debt was over. I get it. Okay? But all Deshaun Watson has done to this point, and again, I realize that it's totally apples and oranges. But all he's done is get paid to not play football. You know, so, so we are still in progress of this thing. And I have always been one of those people who said, who say that, look, once a person has paid his debt to society, whatever that debt is and whatever the crime was, he should be allowed to go out and earn a living. Okay. And so to me, I never, I, I shouldn't say I never had any problem. I understand it's a complicated situation, but to me, Mike Vick had every right to go out. And uh, if somebody wanted to give him a chance to take that chance. And, and I'll just say this. I really wonder, you know, one thing I've heard in this whole process, you may have heard the same thing. I really wonder what, if any, uh, role, the, the, the friendship, and I have no idea how deep a friendship it is, uh, what kind of relationship it is between Deshaun Watson and Michael Vick is, and, and whether it's had any impact on this, whether, whether Vick has advised him in any way, shape, or form. But it's just something that's gone through my head that if I were Deshaun Watson, I would want to talk to somebody who not only would have been my hero as a kid when I was growing up outside of Atlanta, uh, you know, watching football and wanting to be like this guy. I, I would think that they've had some discussions about what I don't know, but I do think that that's going to be an interesting part of this story whenever it is told. You said something important there, Peter. And again, this is a difficult, challenging subject, and we understand that people have rights. Those rights will be adjudicated in civil court. We're not in a position to assess the evidence. We're not asking the questions. We're not there witnessing the answers. We don't know what the evidence is. We don't know what it isn't. There's been some stuff publicly available, but the bulk of the evidence, as in most cases, will be available only to the people directly involved. But... You said Mike Vick paid his debt to society. And you're right. Deshaun Watson has no debt to society. Deshaun Watson, one week ago today, was deemed to have no even potential debt to society. A grand jury decided not to indict him on any charges. There can be no debt to society. He's even more free and clear than Mike Vick was in 2009. Civil cases. How can he be with 22 civil suits? Because civil suits are not criminal charges, Peter. Civil suits don't matter in the eyes of the debt to society. OJ Simpson. OJ Simpson had no debt to society, even though he killed those people. Well, it should matter, but my point is this. I, it's, it makes it even harder to compare Mike Vick 15 years to after he Watson. stopped playing football. I No. No, well, I know, I know, but I'm just saying it's an example of the difference between the debt to society and the outcome of a civil lawsuit. Plenty of people get sued. People get sued for all sorts of things. The outcome of a civil lawsuit results in no debt to society. It only results in a debt to the person who successfully wins at trial. There are all sorts of heinous activities that never result in a criminal charge that do result in a civil verdict. I'm just saying this is, this is something the NFL has never had to deal with. When the NFL has disciplined players in the past, except for Ben Roethlisberger, but Roethlisberger, I believe, settled potential civil claims with his victim in Georgia 
in lieu of that person pressing charges. So it brings it into that hybrid of criminal and civil. Uh, in this case, no criminal charges, but 22 pending civil cases. What do you do about 22 pending civil cases? W- at what point do you reach critical mass? Would one, now, if Because there was only one, Peter, if there was only one civil case pending against Deshaun Watson making these allegations, pick the worst of the 22. If that's the only one pending, I, I, I don't think the league does anything. And I don't think the teams even hesitate for a half second. What's the number between 1 and 22 where it becomes, just by sheer volume, well, this is something that is a major problem. But again, there's no criminal charges. I'm just, I, I just, this is, this is something the NFL has never had to deal with before. And I think because of that, there's going to be an inclination to wait as long as they have to, to do something. Because the NFL has learned the hard way in the past that if they do something prematurely, they make a mistake. And, and, and again, I said this earlier, this question. If, you, if he's ultimately exonerated, what are you, what are you disciplining him for? But do you, let me ask you this question. Do you think it's possible that they wait until 2023 to discipline him? It's possible if they decide to wait until the cases end, and if he doesn't settle the cases and he fights them all the way through trial, it's possible. But they don't, t- the, the, to, to their credit. That, might, that and, might make the most sense in light of what you're saying. Yeah, but then they'd have to let him play the whole year and they'd have to deal with the fact that these 22 civil cases are pending. But, you know, hey, the Patriots were going to keep Antonio Brown after he was sued for sexual assault and rape in September of 2019. They didn't cut him until Robert Klemko reported that there was someone else that had a claim against Antonio Brown and there was evidence that he was retaliating against that person sharing her story with Klemko. He was at SI at the time. Right. And that's when the Patriots said, that's it, get out of here. They were not going to cut him over a civil claim of sexual assault and rape because there's an acknowledgement. Anybody can sue anyone for anything. Now, when there's 22, you start to think there must be a problem. And I think that's kind of where we are here. The sheer numbers make us say something's not right here. And that's what puts the NFL in a tougher spot. And they may have to do something. And, And I've said this before. You can take the letter that the commissioner sent to Ben Roethlisberger in 2010, and you can cut and paste it, and you can use that language to justify suspending Deshaun Watson based upon what we already know. And we know that the commissioner has full and complete discretion to do whatever he wants. The appeal rights are minimal. The discretion is extremely broad. It's, it's all going to come down to how he chooses to use it. And we know how this goes with the NFL. It's always driven by PR. But it's a tough one. If, you, if you're too aggressive with Deshaun Watson, you got a PR problem. If you're not aggressive enough, you got a PR problem. Either way, they have a problem. And the best way to deal with it may be to just wait and see how these civil cases turn out. I, I mean, the more you talk about it, uh, the more logical it seems. Because, look, if they're not going to know, and I, I mean, I think we both feel like we're not going to know uh, before training camp what is going on i you know the one one last thing i would say on this what if deshaun watson says i just want this to go away i just want this to go away here's x million dollars and give me my suspension and let me come back with a clean slate on november 10th and then i'm never talking about this again i'm never dealing it dealing with it again i mean i i think and I've thought this many times. 
I don't know how Deshaun Watson is going to play football without this being a huge factor and a huge thing in his head, you know, if he's fighting these civil lawsuits at the same time. I, I mean, I don't know. If, if I were him, man, I would want this just to go away. And, and again, you can't just make it go away, obviously. You know, and you've got to show sincere, sincere remorse if you were going to make some sort of settlement. But again, we get all the sense in the world right now, Mike, that he says, I didn't do anything wrong. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But I do think this is a sort of Damocles over his head and over the league's head. I said it March of 2021, it was incumbent to get everyone in the room together, find a retired judge or some other neutral party to broker a mediation aimed at settling the claim so that the individuals feel like their claims were properly heard, taken seriously, and they got fair compensation for whatever they endured, whatever they believe they endured. But, you know, the problem is Watson's camp has decided to go after some of these folks, and they believe some of these claims are very weak. They believe some of these people just latched on to the train that was already rolling. Hey, hey, hell, we, we got this lawsuit, and we're going to get – we're going to get paid by Deshaun Watson. So let's I'm saying that's how that's the attitude that Watson's camp has, that some of these folks really didn't have a claim, didn't have a beef, didn't have a grievance until they saw that there was an effort to go after Deshaun Watson. That's what Watson's camp has been pushing for the past year. And under those circumstances, maybe all you can do is 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 fight these. And and maybe maybe there's a few of them that you decide we just need to work out a settlement that maybe there was a line that was crossed, but maybe for the vast majority of them they they hold firm and they fight. But I, this is not an easy situation for anybody, and I think this has been a useful conversation because you're right, the issue has been glossed over as we begin this rush to Deshaun Watson 2.0, and he's going to come back, he's going to take the league by storm. He's in an unprecedented mess. The league is in an unprecedented mess, and either the Saints or the Falcons is going to inherit that unprecedented mess, and it's going to be part of the organization uh, moving forward for as long as Deshaun Watson is there. There's an angle on the Falcons' side, and we're going to have to reconfigure the schedule for the show, the outline for the show, and find a spot to drop it because there's a very compelling Falcons angle I want to get to. For now, though, let's take a break. Uh, When we return... We're going to pivot to the aftermath of the pursuit of Deshaun Watson in Cleveland, what it means for Baker Mayfield, what Baker Mayfield wants, and whether he will get nothing and like it. More PFT Live right after this. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. 